0: Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Connie. I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Yasmin. I met her in Oklahoma City before we moved here to Manhattan, Kansas at something called an open mic night. It was a really amazing opportunity for people that love Jesus, have different giftings to come out and share. Um, there was all sorts of things. There were rappers. There were um, poets. There were which Yasmin was a poet. There were people that did spoken words and gave testimonies. And it was just an incredible night where many different diverse people got to use their diverse skills to bring glory to God. And that was done through a really neat radio station jam OKC. So look them up online because they're really neat and they are supportive of. Um, new people into the ministry and people in their giftings. But through that opportunity, I was able to meet Yasmin. She has an absolutely incredible story. You know, you meet people from time to time who have um, really impactful testimonies or really impactful things they've been through. And then once in a blue moon, you find somebody that their story makes your jaw just drop straight to the floor the adversity that they've been through, um, the faithfulness that God has shown in their new emerging self coming out of these incredible trials. And Yasmin is one of those people. So I have asked her on the show today. She has a heart for Jesus. She's sold out 110% to him. And I've asked her to come on and share her story with us. Yasmin, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's it brings me joy for every opportunity I can to serve the Lord and serve whomever it may be that this reaches. So
0: wonderful. So I want to start, um, I'm just going to let my audience know that we recorded yesterday, didn't we? And we had a corrupted file. (laughs) So here we are back again, because, um, it's so important that your message is shared. I, I can't, um, I can't say that strongly enough. I, your message is incredible. And, um, so here we are again and we're going to get it out to the people. So tell my audience, I just want you to start from the beginning to so start telling us about you and about your story and let's get into it.
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, I felt like I was reading in the beginning, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, you know, obviously I know that I was born to a mother and a father um, mm-hmm. and I lived with them and my dad left at the age of two. So I was told. And so from there, I grew up in a house full of gang members, my uncle's. Mm-hmm. They were a part of the gangs. I grew up in a household that held a lot of bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, jealousy, just a bunch of darkness. Okay. Let, let me put my phone on silence real quick.
0: Yeah, no problem.
1: Um. So growing up, I remember that I would go back and forth with my mom and a s- certain family member. Um, and... It got to the point where I just my mom kind of left me and my sister there with that family member. And okay. this family member, they they mistreated me horribly from speaking just horrible things at a young age. I remember hearing things that, you know, just you you shouldn't tell a child. You You yeah. don't tell a child. Breaks, the mistakes with them, um, being being hurt in many ways, um, being mistreated from this person, and that followed me until I was able to escape. But that's further down my testimony. Um, okay. And so, receiving all this, you know, what does a child do with it when she can run yeah. to no her family, no one's bringing her up the way she ought to be brought up. She is alone, surrounded by people yet alone. So I turned to the only thing I could, and that was self-harm. I began to self-harm.
0: What age would you say that you began to self-harm?
1: I'd probably say starting at, let me see. Mm -hmm. Probably, I want to say 14 or 15, around that age.
0: And did that like, was that like cutting and stuff like that? Yeah,
1: <clears throat> cutting, because I didn't really have freedom in this household. Yeah. So I literally would find any object I could just to harm myself. Um, you know, I I remember I'd always be sent out a lot to stores, no matter what time of the day, night. And I remember during those little times, you know, that was just, I'm alone, I'm free I would, I would talk to myself all the time because I just, I only had me. And, but I remember also, I always believed that there was a God. Um, we went to church here and there. Um, and I remember during those walks, many times I would just gaze up at the stars and sometimes I would speak asking for help, asking why. And sometimes I would just stare. And I would feel something in me that just knew that although I'm not talking, God is hearing me. So, you know, God God had been in my life, but as I grew up continuing in that being mistreated, I started to not care so much about him because I seen he wasn't doing anything about it. I was still Mm -hmm. facing these things. And, um, you know, growing up as well, I, my innocence was taken by multiple men and I just had so much upon me and no one to tell it about, no one to helping me or anything like that. So
0: we talked yesterday a little bit about you know, you had shared just the extensive abuse that you had suffered as a, as a young child. And part of that abuse was, um, people speaking death over you in the form of words, negativity, and then every relationship that you had had with men, whether it be your father or family members or people that you met, they all manipulated you and ended up treating you not as the Lord created for a man to treat a woman or a young girl or a father to treat a daughter. And so in your formative years as a little girl, your view of men, your view of relationships, and certainly your view of your your perception of the world and being safe was so distorted and broken. Um, just because no one was doing the right thing by you. No one was leading you or keeping you safe. And so I just remember us talking about that. I just want to bring that back up.
1: Yes. And that that's exactly everything I experienced growing up. Um, and it was horrible. Like it it was just bad that I, 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 I pray that no child have to go through that, but I know that they do because of the world we live in. Yeah. And I understand that now. But um I, I just I'm glad that you break it down for them like that so they understand and they get the vision of just how bad my life was, but going down further, it, it starts mm-hmm. to get light that light. Um so you know I continued there. Um I started getting to the age where I could I basically could say no. I started speaking up, but that mm-hmm. didn't make any better. So finally, I, I just stayed with my mom one day and I told her I'm not gonna go back. I mean, you can't, I'm at the age where I feel free now to say I don't wanna go back. So <clears throat> I, I began to stay with my mom this is during middle school. Okay. During this time, finally, I'm going to middle school. I'm introduced to a whole new world because I didn't really go to elementary in my youth just because of how bad my life was. I was kept isolated. I would go maybe for wow. a few months and okay. just take me to school and I wouldn't go. So my life was pretty isolated <clears throat> besides being around family members. Um, <clears throat> so I'm now going to school every day, middle school, I'm entering this new world. Um, I remember <clears throat> I was still and middle uh, school
0: is no joke, <clears throat> is it? Middle yeah, school no, is tough
1: to like a whole new world,
0: like Many overnight. <clears throat> yeah. You go from childhood <clears throat> innocence in, I mean, and even though it was broken, still elementary school, which you, you say you weren't even Privy to a lot of the time, but going from elementary school to middle school is just shocking how different it is.
1: Yeah. Um, and so during this time I was still self-harming, but I was a very isolated kid. Um Mm -hmm. I wouldn't talk to people, but I would just kind of observe and I was always in my head, like I I was allowed literally my head was like an escape place to get away from my surroundings and stuff like that but um during middle school is where i was introduced to an attraction to the same sex and okay. it started off as i had someone who would talk i would talk to and um you know we started to grow a French, a little friendship there.
0: Mm-hmm. but
1: I noticed a feeling of <clears throat> jealousy arose when I had seen her with somebody. And I was confused with these feelings and I didn't really have anybody yeah. to talk to about them, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I would take it home and there was nothing really I could do about it, but just allow it to grow. So finally, I do pursue a relationship with the same sex. And that's when I realized I'm what everybody says a lesbian is. I'm that. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's pick that part and make it a part of my identity. Cool. Okay. So I continue middle school in that. <clears throat> um, like I said, I was self-harming. So once one day, um you know, the counselors they 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 find out, and um I get sent to a home where um, you know you, you know what what a home if people have been there, they kind of just watch you um, and just to I guess stop you from self-harming, they put you on medication. Okay. And stuff is it like, like
0: a, a psychiatric facility? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Or is it something? Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: That. So um I stayed there for about a week and then they said my behavior was well and I was able to be released. And after leaving- Because everybody
0: there, re- knows that if you're a self-harmer, you get better in a week, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up because it's just- and see, I couldn't see these things, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I, couldn't. They were blind to me. But, yeah, I just I remember being there. I looked at everybody and they were now that I look back and I'm able to see they were just. Wow, they were sad. They were. Yeah. Tormented. They were they were just depressed, burdened, suicidal. And these were young people. Yes, I was young. And
0: really I think that it's safe to say that they were children. They were children. Yeah. Children that have been repeatedly exposed to acts of destruction and desolation because our minds as children we don't have the say, you know, who our parents are going to be or what lifestyle we're going to grow up in. We are often as I as I said yesterday a little bit just conceived with thoughtlessness, not always, but a lot of the time nowadays, it's like kids are a byproduct of uh, wanting a desire to want to have sex and carelessness, or we are conceived out of a desire to fill a hole in our parents, um where they think that a child is gonna meet their own needs and their and fill their own brokenness. So, you know, but but children are, the bible says that they're gifts from the lord and um you know there there's this time in our lives at the beginning where we don't come into the world knowing what to do and having um the necessary means to carry adult burdens and process adult things that's why god gives us caretakers he gives us mothers and fathers that's why the family is such an important thing because you raise children and it doesn't mean that they never experience hard things, but it means that when we treat a child in the right way and we value them, then they are more equipped to handle the roughness that life throws at them. But when you look at your life, every bit of every milestone where you needed protection and security it was ripped away from you and that created this void and then as a young as a young adult you are trying and you're looking to fill this void and everything bad and negative is there and available and easy for you to get and everyone that should have helped you and this is this is bigger than you I mean it lots of people can resonate with this feeling wounded by doctors and systems that are set up just to, to protect but they in fact they don't and oftentimes yeah. they harm
1: and and so you know that hospital didn't do anything for me they didn't yeah. do anything um, but I remember when I left I, I just remember seeing everybody and how it was there the atmosphere and everything And I was like, I'm not, that's not me. I was like, no, that's not me. It can be. I didn't want to believe it. Yeah. So I left, I continue in self-harming, pursuing women. And further down the line, um, still in middle school, I get introduced to marijuana. You know, I grew up around it and stuff like that. But I always had a fear holding me back. Like, I'm not going to do that Mm I'm not going to pursue that. I'm better than that. And I won't allow it. But sure enough, I found a group where the reason I like being with them is because I could be in their presence. yet Isolate myself. And I wasn't alone yet. I was. But I like that. I didn't need to speak Mm -hmm. in order to hang around them. So Jasmine liked that. She wanted that. So um, you felt
0: accepted.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I felt like I belonged there and um, but they they would smoke they would drink and so of course they would offer me that and I thought you know what at this point why not why not I have all the reason to they would describe it in a way where like it brings you joy it takes the pain away that's always how they would describe it it takes the pain away
0: and that's Um, what you wanted wasn't it for the pain to stop that's
1: what I wanted so I thought why not And I began to smoke um, and drink as well, but it wasn't as bad as it got down the road. And so I'm pursuing that. And in the middle of that, I also get introduced to another group of friends that don't go to my school, but I find them online. Uh We start connecting um, and I meet with them one day and I'm like, these are my people. And in reality, it was because they had been broken as well. They understood. I seen Mm -hmm. it in them. I seen the poverty, the poverty they grew up in, and I'm like, yeah, these are my people, okay. And you know, they also were a part of the LGBTQ community, and so I remember I would kind of be open with them, and I would share with them, like, I was like, I don't like how I. Feel in these clothes, I don't like my hair, I don't like how I look. And I remember one of them, they were transgender, which I did not know what that was at that time. But they told me, you're transgender. And I was like, you know, what's that? And they explained it to me. And I thought, okay, that's me. Yes, I want to be that I don't want to be a girl but I didn't realize I was speaking because I just wanted to run away from all that trauma, everything, all that, that men had put me through as a woman. I didn't know how to heal it. No one ever showed me the true Mm -hmm. way of healing. And so I started to, you know, uh, transform into the whole, Mel- I
0: want. I want to bring back a couple of things that I remember that you said yesterday in our interview. Um, that the file got corrupted. I can't help but <clears throat> when I say that. Um, <laughs> but you had said you had told us how old you were when this was going on, and you were still in high school, right? This was.
1: This is still in middle school.
0: Still in middle school. Okay. So you are deciding that you are now going to be transgender in middle school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's important because it's just important. And then the next thing you talked about was you said that when that friend in this group had said to you, well, that's because you're transgender, you had said that you went home and you were sitting in your closet, if I remember correctly, and you Googled. therapist near me. Tell us about that because that is such an important piece that goes along with being in the hospital for a week when you were self-harming and then being released. And now fast forward to experiencing going from homosexuality now into transgenderism and how, what happened there?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I began the steps of, I cut my hair, I changed my clothes and I changed my name I was going by jake but there was just one day okay. this is, I'm now in high school there's this day where i I was tired of my voice I was tired of how I look I still had those features and I was still getting called by my birth name because of the fact that I sounded like a girl I looked like a girl mm-hmm. and so one day I'm home i I'm in my closet and um I just looked up like I looked up you know counselors near me um those who help for these specific situations i found one emailed her we scheduled an appointment and not even within a month and a half later i was on testosterone i got pr- approved and i literally only had like three sessions with her and it's just i look back now and i had, I had to, to i had to pray for forgiveness because i just I thought I shouldn't have been done like that. It was given to me so easily. And yeah. I wasn't in my right mind. I did not know what I was doing. And nobody could see that. Nobody could see that, but they just went along with it. And um, so I started to go along with it and I believed it and I became it. And it was given to me so, so easily.
0: Yeah. Uh I just want to stop you and I want to I want to ask another question. Um so did that feel like when cuz it just feels like to me that this one thing through your life and and correct me if i'm wrong but it just feels like you never felt like anyone truly cared to get to know you and what was actually going on um And, and so all of these things were available to you. People were telling you, well, you know, you're transgender here, take testosterone, you know, this, that, and the other thing, try drugs. They'll make you, you know, they'll take the pain away, but no one ever stopped and said, tell me what, what's going on. Let's, and, and heard it from you, cared to hear from you. Everyone offered you advice. Or told you stuff, but no one ever just stopped and pulled you in and said, What's what's going on? What pain do you have? How are you, you know, what can what can we do to what what do you need? Do you even know what you need? Is that is that um what what do you think about that? Is that accurate or not really?
1: That's accurate. Um, I never had that parenting that I should have. I never had that that sit-down one-on-one talk. I never had that. And because of that, um, that's another reason I just always stay isolated. I isolated to myself. I never had nobody like that to talk to. Everybody always just did me wrong, gave me the wrong advice, did not care for me, just wanted to party and drink. Um, And so, you know, that's why I believe what followed me growing up is wanting that motherly love wanting that father love that those that guidance that i always i needed and it followed me growing up and, so um,
0: a question that i have and i don't know how i don't know if this is but it, it it makes me wonder do you think that you pursued homosexuality because you wanted the motherly love but then ultimately Pursued transgenderism because you wanted to be the man that you didn't have in your life. Is that is that a possibility, or what? What do you?
1: Well, I know for a fact a reason that I pursued it was because, um, it was an escape of okay. Many times that I'd been, you know, my my, my innocence taken by men and just hurted yeah. by men, sexual abuse many times. Mm-hmm. I know it was an escape of that, but that, that always followed, followed me. Like I said, um, the, the world calls it, you know, mother issues, daddy issues. And, uh, I never thought about mm-hmm. it like in that way though. Um, I know, I just, I, I know that I did seek that motherly comfort, that motherly guidance in relationships. I couldn't see it back then. Yeah. but look back now, I see it in every relationship, even with friendships, you know, I would seek someone, but no one ever gave me that. Um, but when yeah, it came yeah. to the transgender part, I i was a horrible person. I remember that, like mentally, my mm-hmm. mind was corrupt. Yeah. My heart was corrupt. Um, gr- growing up, I was always told that my dad was uh, a woman beater. Um, he was just an abuser he was horrible he was a deadbeat yeah. I was told all the things about my dad and I didn't say this yesterday because it, it didn't come to mind but you know I did become that like as Jake I was I was bitter going up being told your dad's a woman beater my heart started to conform to that like in a way mm-hmm. that Woman, I would mistreat them like not physically, but like with words. As Jake, I would bring that upon women, and I don't know. I just, I just see that. I see a little resemblance. Always being told what my dad was, and allowing a part of that, yeah, Jake, be molded into Jake, and it's just twisted how it all works, and I can't break it down, Mm -hmm. but. I didn't know. I, I didn't know all this. I was just going by life to what was available by available to me, um, pursuing many things, not knowing the consequences, the, you know, what I should have been warned of. And um, yeah, but yeah, I never thought about it in that way. So,
0: okay, I, I just want to talk a minute just about the daily emotional pain. You know, you have said different times during the podcast um, today, just that you were up in your head and you, you know, you were always thinking. And then when you were doing these things, it was to escape the pain. I want, I want to sit with that for a minute because I think number one, there's such a stigma surrounding people that aren't emotionally stable but there is, it's a reality. And I think so many of us within our minds, we can go and we can put on a show because I know that you were still, you know, you were in high school. You were, I, I think you had a job. Didn't you I have did, a job?
1: Yeah. And you
0: were going to school, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you were, quote unquote, functioning while at the same time being in a total, state of emotional upheaval and chaos and pain talk about if you would um what was that like every day waking up and knowing here I am again and then going to bed and knowing I'm going to be there again that next morning
1: um And, you know, I'm actually glad that we got to redo this again because there were so many depths of my testimony that were left out, including what I'm about to share. Um, I remember I always thought that I was crazy every day. I thought that I was crazy because my mind, it, it was just chaos. The things I would think was chaos. And each day I remembered that. I would always try to change my personality as if it was uh, my clothes, you know, change it every day. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know why, but I went along with it because I began to like it. And it's like, yeah, whatever influenced me, whatever I liked in other people, I tried to become that every day. It was new. Um, I had so many you know, phases that I would go through, so the world would describe it. But mentally, um, I wasn't emotionally stable um, at work. You know, I don't know if anybody could notice it or not, but I would stay yeah. quiet. But in my head, yeah, I was just going on and on about throughout the day. Um, at home, I would usually, you know, use drugs. Um, at this point my mom didn't have any say so i'm just losing control and then at school is where really i would get attacked in the mind because i always felt like i was being watched yeah i had panic attacks at school my thoughts were loud um my education was just horrible because of the fact that i had all this fear i never asked for help i never Mm -hmm. got the teaching that i should have um, I didn't understand. What do you was going think on.
0: that was because of your trust issues? Not asking for help? Do you think that stemmed from all of the times you felt like you had been hurt by people in the past? So you didn't even want to risk asking teachers for help with schoolwork?
1: At this point, when I when the reason I know, well, I know what I do know for a fact, a part of it was is because of fear. Um, I feared being wrong and I thought that yeah I thought that ah, they would look at me like, mm-hmm. you're dumb you know you don't know what you're doing and yeah. I always felt like the classroom or watchers they're watching me so I'd, I'd stay quiet I'd pretend like I didn't know what I was doing but yeah I that, that makes
0: that my, sense
1: my sheets showed that I had not a clue what was going on so high school I was mm-hmm. isolated and that was that was what my days would look like I just tormented but somehow <laughs> not somehow, yeah. but I know why I was able to reach it this far. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, it's just, cause I look yes. back and I was like, um, man, I would give myself a hug and tell tell myself. It's, I know. Okay, that, you know that is
0: exactly what I'm sitting here thinking. Um, <laughs> you know, a little bit about my story and, and the the pain, the similar pain emotionally that I went through and, that's, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, if I could just go back in time yeah. and pull you in and <laughs> squeeze you and tell you, you're going to be okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think something that comes to my mind is um, we know, we know, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. When we get through something and we can look back, we can see so much clearer than when we're in the thick of it. But yeah. You, you weren't a believer at this point in your life, no. correct? No, but God still had his hand on you. And I think oftentimes people don't understand, or they think that if you're not saved, God somehow doesn't have control or he doesn't love people that aren't saved, or he doesn't, you know, work or influence in their lives. And I think, well, If that's true, then none of us would ever be saved because scripture says that, that, you know, we are saved because God first loved us and he is pursuing us. And so it's interesting to me to hear you now and me seeing you and knowing you now to see even back then in school, when you were afraid and you were in all of this emotional turmoil God was moving you down the plotted line of time and history and space to the place where he was going to make his debut in your life. And people can easily say, well, you didn't need to go through any of that. why did you, blah, blah, blah. And we talked about yesterday the fact that hard times and difficult times aren't God's fault they are a choice that was made in the garden. And the sooner that we can just come to terms with the fact that sorrow, sin, suffering is a part of this life, and it has nothing to do with the faithfulness or the goodness of God, but exactly the opposite. Because the fact that God still ushers people through their hard times into His glorious plan for them is only evidence that the God that we serve is good and faithful and that we are the ones that are not faithful. But my whole point, because I'm going to digress and give it the floor back to you. God had his hand on you here when you were such a broken person. And and he is the reason he preserved your life because he has a plan for you, just like he has a plan for anyone that's listening to this. And I think that's the main thing that that you and I want to get across is, is the love that God has for mm-hmm. us.
1: Yeah. Because suicide was always in the back of my head. It's just, mm-hmm. no, no, it was God just literally keeping death from coming and devouring me because it was yeah. always there, but something would always just say, no. And I would say it's fear. I'm just a wuss and I won't do it. I won't do it. But now I know it was God. He he knew he had a purpose for me, a calling. Yes. And he was going to do it at his timing. And he knew that all this would turn for not only his glory, but to reach others, to yes. testify of others that he was always there. And that although many people, they'd say, "Okay, if he was there, why would he allow you to go through that? Well, all I know is that when he came into my life, he has healed me from all of that. So it was as. Amen. Amen. But I know I did, but I am healed. I found my true healing. And it it has all now turned for the good, because Jasmine wouldn't have said if I can go through that just so I can help save others. No, I'm good. I'll pass on that. Yeah. Because (laughs) I wanted to wanted to just use my life to bring in others. Now I say thank you, Lord. Because I know me in flesh, I would have never said yes to that. I would have never said yes to that past and all that. But um now I say thank you because I know that many can relate and now I'm able to share a hope for them. And so um yeah, I'm in high school. Where was I at?
0: You were talking about being in high school. We had just um we had just discussed where you started testosterone.
1: Okay. And that's kind
0: of where we left off.
1: Okay. So, so you can just pick yeah, up back there. I'm in high school. I started testosterone. I explained I explained what my days were like. Um mm-hmm. in high school. We know high school now, it's a whole new different yeah opening many just many things in high school and um, it's
0: middle school on steroids
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that. oh my gosh yeah that that's the way to describe it and um uh-huh. for me the door that was open was considering right now I'm still smoking and drinking um I was introduced to the opportunity of selling it now okay um and so it was so easy to do it. You know, we had where I grew up, we had drug dealers every corner. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, of course, they would always try to lure the young ones. It's just, it just, it's just how it works in that yeah. community. And so I found that group um, in my apartment and I began to sell. And now this group, they were gang members. Um, and I didn't share this yesterday. See, So I'm just grateful for today. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, They were gang members and um, our day consists of smoking, drinking, going around, seeing what we could do. And I remember there was a day where they had talked about getting jumped in, you know, jumped in is basically where you would join, but they would have to basically jump you. Jump you is just like It's just, it's just now that I look about it, it's just so wicked, but just beat you down. And then it's like, okay, now you're good. You can join us now.
0: Mm.
1: And that was a door that was going to be open. So getting
0: beat up is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, getting beat up. And it's like, okay, now you can join us. So that had been brought up in a conversation. I remember I went. So it's
0: interesting. I want to I want to ask you a question. So it's essentially you submit to being beat down. Mm -hmm. and then after you do that after you let someone beat you down you can join them
1: yeah it's actually the group like they 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 would choose like the head of the group of the gang and they would give you a beating and then after that beating you take it and it's like okay that proves you are you qualify for this gang that's how it is and so I remember I took that thought home and I And it's just by the grace of God, because I don't know how my life would have turned if I were to pursue that. But I just once again, I called it fear. But fear in me was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, no, You're right. That's wicked. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's, that's that's wicked. wicked. And so Mm -hmm. I I stopped hanging out with them. Um, And so I just continued to sell. I would sell at my school and um, in the midst of this all. I just explained every, how life was going in the midst of that. I was, I was giving, giving my, my body, body up yeah. to men for me um, while okay. in relationships with women and no. all this was going on, you know, like, okay.
0: Okay.
1: I'm sorry, you're cutting so out. So
0: prostitution? Well, yeah, yeah it's so just just start back because we did cut out a tiny bit uh, you were saying that you were in the process of giving your body up for sex to men yes while you were in a homosexual relationship with another woman and then we kind of cut out so just pick up from right there
1: so growing up in a generational curse of lust perversion. It followed mm-hmm. me and it formed into my identity. And so I would get a lustful feeling of you know men had only became good for one thing and that was sex. That's all they yeah. were. Good for. So it was so easy to find a hookup. So you would call it. Yeah. And sometimes I would do it for money and sometimes I would just do it just because that's what that that old identity wanted. And yeah. it was so easy to give it. so that was going on. But it's just it was horrible of what I experienced during the process. And you know, I just I would think, why am I here? Why am I doing this? It was a cry for help, but it had to be silenced because there was no hope for it at the moment. There was no okay. Here's a solution. Here's a way out. Yeah, I just would silence it and.
0: And you're talking about experiencing this during the act of prostitution, like having sex for money. Is that you're talking about this going on in your mind?
1: Well, sometimes I would do it for money and then sometimes I would just do it because it was just a for the heck of it. Yeah. And then just would pursue it. So, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, finally, after going back to it multiple times, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't like the feeling that that. It's like every time I would do it, I would be tormented by my past in my mind. And Mm -hmm. anybody who is hearing this and understands what I'm talking about, it's so dark. It's so dark of what you're feeling, remembering your past while doing this and feeling disgusted. All that mixing just brings just a big torment. It's just horrible. So I finally, I I stopped pursuing that. Um, I stayed the drug dealer I was, um, relationships with women working, um, being transgender.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: And that, that was high school. And at one point I just dropped out because I was like, I don't even care about school anymore. I don't understand what's going on. And that's Mm -hmm. another thing I want to bring up is that, you know, not only did we talk about, you know, my bloodline did me wrong. Those around me, they mm-hmm. never were able to be anything for me. And then the school system, yeah, you know, they did me wrong in a way I just kept getting passed and passed. And I had no idea what was going on. Like today, I lack the knowledge and it hurts me, but I, I lack the things that I ought to know, but I don't know. And it comes to basically bite me. and And it's like you know whoever is listening this
0: is just so important this is yeah. so important because we we have an obligation as believers and and just people in general to to care for children and when we see that things are not as they should be We shouldn't sit idly by and do nothing. We should demand, uh, and I don't mean demand in an angry, hateful way, but I'm saying firmly, we should assert our rights as American citizens to start bringing change as a nation and as a body of believers, because there are things that are just wrong. And if we would speak up about them and we would vote against them and we would start contributing to different ministries within our communities, we could make a difference in people's lives unless children would have to go through some of the, the terrible, terrible things that they experience on such a regular basis, because we would be saying no and holding people accountable for the claims that they make to protect our children. Um, you just, just what you're saying is so important business after business entity after entity, school systems, um, you know, therapists, doctors, all of it, they failed you. And it's not just one person either. It's, it's everyone that gets thrown into the system has such a high percentage of getting lost. And I feel just very strongly that there's something we can do about it. Um, But I'll digress on that point. I just so appreciate hearing you just talk so openly about struggles that I know so many other people are having, whether or not it's gender and identity, you know, emotional turmoil, emotional instability, uh, all of those things, abuse, generational curses. We, So many of us, dare I say all of us yeah. on some level or another can relate and we need to stop being ashamed of our struggles. We need to begin yeah. to talk about them and find like-minded people that know God and know who he is so that we can start walking in freedom. You said yesterday that it is, you know, freedom. It is truth that sets us free and truth is not relative. It's not made up. It's not something that we decide that it is. It is the spoken word of God is truth. And that is what sets us free. So just, just continue. I just, I get so fired up about this. (laughs)
1: Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But the school topic is something that I do believe. And if I'm willing, if it be the Lord's will, the Lord will, you know, use me as well to tell kids in middle school, high school, heck, elementary, that, you know, if you're struggling, if you know that you don't understand what's going on or whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. I ask for help ask for yes because it comes to it comes it comes after you as you grow up and become an adult things get real yes it does and and so um another thing I want to say before I continue is a lot of people they don't speak of their problems like I did because they think it's their fault and mm-hmm. they believe this lie of it's my fault it's all my fault and stuff like that and that keeps them from from speaking and releasing all these things and just bottling all yeah. up. It's just, yeah. it's not good bottled up. Um, I'm not saying if you don't, if you don't trust man, trust God, speak to him about it.
0: Yes. Yes. Need
1: someone who you can trust them. And I, I testify of that. Um, but it's not your fault. It was never your fault. What was done to you mm-hmm. is just, it was just evil and wickedness that, just lures throughout this world and yeah. Yeah, it's just it's not their fault. And so um and
0: another thing is you're, you know, you talked about the generational um, curses following you of lust and jealousy and perversion. And we don't know, I mean, I don't know how many generations have struggled with that within your bloodline, but it would probably be safe to say it would be a number of them. But what yeah. is interesting to me is that. I feel so strongly that God is using you as a deliverer for your family line because he is bringing you out. And so what we see is that just because there are generations of families and bloodlines that are in a certain sin pattern or a certain dysfunction pattern, that there is the opportunity to break free of that. And God rings about saviors for family lines that he is ushering in. You know, we hear about types of Christ, you know, in the Bible, you know, David or Joseph, whatever you are being used to break these curses within your family and the generational line that's moving forward. And I am always astounded at how powerful God is, but how, even when we have been walking in generational lines of depravity, he will raise someone up to help break those curses. And I believe that that's what you are in part. That's what you're doing for your family.
1: Yeah. And I I witness it throughout my family. Like it started with one and then another and another, and our, our bloodline is just beginning to get saved, you know, and um Mm -hmm. but the thing I want to say is that generational curse was following me and because of it I can only imagine how many people I hurt. I hurt people that generational curse followed me and it just it just made this big just evil mess and because of it I hurt people but um we're gonna continue down the story. That's something I I wanted to share because okay. I believe that as people, we don't want to hurt other people. Yeah. Although you we people may see, oh, that person is evil, they don't care. Inside, we don't want to do it, but we we like we don't know how not to do it, you know?
0: Yes. But there was a hope yes.
1: even for that.
0: Yes, so, amen.
1: Oh. Um <clears throat> high school ages it, it was just going by and um let's see so i began to have these these seizures mm-hmm. in the midst of being a drug dealer okay. pursuing the lgbt dating woman, working, tormented with all these things. Um, I began to have seizures in the midst of this all. And um, I go to hospitals, you know, because they I'm, I'm feeling mm-hmm. like horrible. But each hospital is just telling me it's because of the weed you're smoking. It's because of the drinking. It's a bad reaction. Stop doing it. But of course, I had no power to stop doing it. So I yeah. Um yeah. And during this is where things really start to escalate in my life and take a change. Um because we had a dog in our apartment. Her name is Venus. Um but because we had her there after being told we couldn't, we had now mm-hmm. got to the point where we we're getting kicked out. We're going to keep, okay. it out. you know, um, and I remember my mother, the only place she could go was that certain family member that had basically become someone I never wanted to see again in my life. Yeah. And so I remember feeling, feeling this, this like, my whole past coming back to me again, like I'm about to enter it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my dad came to my mind. Um, yeah. Now this is a man that I only would see just a, Hey, hi, hello to get my yeah. child support every month. And sometimes I wouldn't even see him. My mom would get it. Um. But he came to mind because I was desperate. I did not want yeah. to. Go back. I, I needed some, I needed to find somewhere. And so I, I gave him a call at this point, his daughter is no longer his daughter. I'm Jake. He doesn't mm-hmm. know this. Um, and I tell him like, Hey, can I live with you? We're getting kicked out. I do not mm-hmm. want to go back there because they treated me horribly. And he says, let me talk to my roommate about it, calls me back. And it's just amazing that God knew what he was doing. And as I yeah. get down in my testimony, y'all are going to see why. God literally yes. was on yes. this all, And I couldn't even see it. His hand was upon me. As I as I, I, described just how everything I was mm-hmm. doing, how I was, God's hand was still upon me. He was still ordaining my life and shifting it in the way yes. it ought to go. And so he said, yes, I move out as soon as I can. Now I'm living on the south side of Oklahoma City. I no longer work in Bethany, no longer go to school. I'm there. Now, those listening, if you know the south side of Oklahoma City, you know that the drugs on the streets are more open, Mm. Um, it's more, it's more it's more bad down there that area and so my dad he was a drinker and I remember the first day I got there there was there was drinks in the refrigerator Mm -hmm. and um you know I began to pursue drinking there more in the midst of still having cedars and all that not knowing why um at this point, I'm not even thinking of my future. Um, I don't even care anymore. I'm just finding a way to get money, taking it day yeah. by day. My day consisted of drinking, smoking, um, going to work, getting home and doing it all over again.
0: Yeah. yeah, um, yeah.
1: So I was working at McDonald's at this point, um, my um, my dad had bought me a car uh because my drinking had got so bad. there was literally times I got behind the wheel blacked out and got home and didn't know how the car yeah. was ruined, but I got not a scratch and it was all because of the grace of God. Death was yeah. literally trying to just snatch me up, and God was yeah. saying no, you yeah. know yeah. so. I mean, I was mixing, I was mixing pills with alcohol and it was just horrible. And because of all this, I wasn't around my family anymore. I was in a household with a man I never knew. He, he himself did not know how to be a father. He just went along that he called me son. Uh, We wouldn't even communicate, just giggles. Um, And I would just stay isolated in my room. And now Mm. was just alone with my thoughts. Nobody around, around nobody. I left, you know, the area where I hung out with, you know, the kind of like minded people and stuff like that. And this is where suicide really started to come back in my mind. And Mm -hmm. it was like, it was like I could no longer run from it. Like, yeah. You know, it was entering to the point where like I began to think about it more. I began to just sit as I would drink and smoke. I would just ponder on the thought of suicide. I would think I have no more purpose here. I don't know what I'm going to do in my life. I'm broken. I'm tired. I hate it here. And those are my thoughts. Those are my daily thoughts.
0: We discussed it yesterday a little bit, um, but we talked about, this this feeling of of wanting to die this wasn't oh I need attention this wasn't oh I want a reaction from people this was a genuine I need out of here and I'm done which I think is important to differentiate between um and I think you had said yesterday that that's what you were experiencing correct
1: yes and like I said I was alone in the midst of this all Mm -hmm. I wasn't surrounded Mm -hmm. by people anymore. These were alone thoughts. And that's a dangerous place to be.
0: Yeah, it is alone.
1: You're no longer doing it for attention or a cry out for help. It's because you truly are just now starting to be conformed into I want to die.
0: You've reached a place where you don't want to live. And your new mission is to stop doing that.
1: Yeah, exactly. You start to care. Yeah. Stop caring about how you live. When you stop caring about how you abuse drugs that's when it takes another turn of life and so i was at that point and nobody could see it um it's like you know but um going through that i'm still working and i remember there's a day at work where i worked at mcdonald's i was at the cashier you know, getting people's money for their orders. And there's this day where I, I remember my vision began to just get black. Like my everything was going it was like a black hole, black big hole mm-hmm. that was just smaller and smaller in my vision. And I remember the office was right next right next to where I was and I I was touching the wall because I could no longer see and I just said quickly to them, I don't feel good. I'm going to sit down and I'm walking through the kitchen, just touching objects because I my vision was just getting blurrier and blurrier. I get water and I sit down and, you know, I had a history of seizures and blacking out and I was going to black out again. Um, but I did it. Um, there was there was a nurse there when well, she was going to school to be a nurse and she came. Mm-hmm. And she kind of just asked, Are you anemic? Asked me questions. Um, my lips were pale. My face was starting to turn white. They sent me home. And mm-hmm. this is where I answer a new journey of a hospital that finally does more than just blood work, finally does more than just saying, Stop taking drugs. They're like, Okay, okay. You know, we're going to do a spinal tap on you. And I'm like, okay, that, that's fine. Uh, at this point, I don't care. I'm just living life day by day, carrying all these things. Um. And I remember the day I got the results. I was with a girlfriend at the time. We were smoking in the car outside of a car wash. And um, mm. I remember he called me and he was talking and he, he tells me he's like you have leukemia and me growing up with the history of never being taught things mm. you know I didn't know what that was I thought that was just okay go get an over-the-counter medicine and you're good I'm thinking it's some a cold or something because I had no idea what leukemia was And I guess he could tell because I'm just like, okay, okay, cool. He could tell in the tone of my voice.
0: Not the normal response when someone gets a cancer diagnosis.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's like, he's like, you have cancer. He he finally brings that word that, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I sit there and I'm just, he's talking and it's like, everything's quiet. I'm just, I can't hear him. I can't hear the girl in the driver's seat. I can't hear nothing. I'm just like, I'm just taking that in and we hang up. I continue to smoke. And then finally, like, I'm thinking I'm not going to tell nobody, but I didn't have the strength to do that. I finally just say, he just told me I have leukemia and I kind of, I kind of think wow. like, okay, this is the way I'm going to die. I'm going to die from cancer um okay and you know he scheduled me to the very next day to go and have a port uh, placed in my chest and now now I knew without him telling me I knew that I could no longer smoke and drink Mm
0: -hmm. and a part of
1: me was like okay with that but another one was another part of me was like I need this I can't stop and so so
0: so today let's kind of wrap up and let this kind of sit with people because when we pick back up at the next the next time because there's going to definitely be a part two possibly a part three we'll pick up right here but just leave our audience with the cliffhanger of how are you feeling? You know, you talked a little bit about it when you got the diagnosis in the car, but the days following that, what was that like for you?
1: Um, <clears throat> scared. Mm-hmm. And okay with the idea of dying, wanting it. Yeah. And uh, let's see.
0: Did you feel sad? Did you just feel sometimes I when I look back over my life and I I remember this different times where things just after accumulation of grief and sorrow, it was just like this sadness, just this sadness for the way that things were and for the powerlessness that I felt just just sad or or not. I mean, maybe you didn't feel that way.
1: Well, I, I was depressed, but. Mm-hmm. It was this time where God started to enter my life. So
0: okay. Those feelings okay. had okay. to flee
1: in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen.
0: Amen. Like, yeah. Okay. Wow. 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 Just
1: that's wow. What, like the farther I get in my testimony, it just points to see how God ordained it all. I mean, just even yeah. just moving yeah. with my dad and how my dad on earth was even used in my life for God's will to be done. And so it just takes a turn. Like this is where things start to take a turn. And um, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and yeah. I want to go just as deeply into that as we have all of, of the heavy, heavy stuff, but for today, leave our guests with a word of encouragement. Um, I know I asked you to do this yesterday, and you know you are free to repeat the same word of encouragement because it was very good. Um, but what would you say to someone that's in the thick of where you were at with the heaviness of life and feeling so betrayed and so broken, but maybe they're hearing this show just for the for the that God brought them to this show. What would you say to them? How would you tell them to hold on?
1: I would tell you that you probably feel like you can't trust anybody. There's probably no one that you feel hears you.
0: Yeah.
1: But I would tell you that I testify of things I lived through
0: that yes. I lived
1: and experienced. Yeah. And many times I ran from God because Part of me wanted to put the blame on him,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but I just, I ran with that thought, but um, everything worked out how it did in my life for the good. Yes. But for you right now listening, I tell you that number one, God is real. He is real. No, I have not seen him, but I have seen him in my life yet. Yeah. He has made himself known to me in a way where I can't deny it. No man can tell me no, but he is in real good mm-hmm. because of this. I would say, I can't believe it. Just like I see her in front of me, I see God in my life. Amen. He has proved himself multiple times. So, all the more he's in your life as well. And I encourage you. And I said this yesterday and I'm going to say it again, because it's important. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I gave many things in life, a chance from self-harming. I believe that that could take the pain away, smoking weed, drinking, transitioning, woman. I gave all these things a chance for what to cover up the pain I was feeling. So I tell you, if you're in any of these things, why not give God a chance? Whether it be a form of prayer, whether it be a form of going to church, whether it be a form of listening to worship or reading the Bible for yourself. I say it as test God and ask Him if you're real and I'm willing, please help me yes i tell you that to give him a chance because he calls us all he wants yeah. us all in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 it says come to me all you who labor and are heavy let burden and I will give you rest mm-hmm. yes and he has proven himself to hold his word when he says that He has done that in my life. I came to him as I was. I came to him in prayer. Believing that Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to try this out as well. And it was that that willing, that little seed of hope in me hoping, I hope this works. I hope it's not like the drugs. I hope it actually does help me. That hope, that yeah. little seed of hope that was placed from me and him changed my whole life. The yes. drugs never did yes. that for me. They made it worse. Yes. Being suicidal never did it for me. It made it worse. Being in the LGBTQ never did it for me. It made it worse. Woman never yeah. did it for me. It made it worse. But God, but God, not only did he change mm-hmm. my life, but he helped heal. All the things that had been brought from those things that I just listed, every pain that those bring, those things brought me, he healed that as well. So I tell you that. And I I love that that. it's real. It's real because I've lived, um, I've lived it. It isn't something man has forced me to say. It isn't something that your church has forced me to say. It's nothing like that. It's my life experience that I'm telling you. Yes. So that's what I mean.
0: Testimonies are so powerful because they cannot be argued with. And especially when you see someone, not only do you hear someone speaking something, but you see them living it out, which is so evident in you. And you shared that Bible verse and I, I wanted to share one as well. The scripture says in Psalm 34, 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So it's important to keep in mind that we will suffer, but we don't suffer without having the hand of almighty God filtering what's going on in our lives, but also protecting us. As we go through it. And then the last verse in Psalm 34. Is, is verse 22. And it says. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him. Will be condemned. And there's also a verse that says. That the Lord is near. To the brokenhearted, Amen. Near. Not far. Not careless or thoughtless or indifferent, but near. And to be near to someone that is brokenhearted means to carry that burden, to love them, to hold them, to provide safety for them while they grieve. So the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And then it says, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if you are crushed in spirit, You have a God that not only is near to you, but wants to save you.
1: And what I'll say is that you all heard of how I just testified of my life. And this scripture, the scriptures that were just read, just testified, just resembled my life. What I just explained,
0: Mm -hmm. he was always
1: with me, even while I was broken and stuff like that, experiencing all that torment. He was with me. Uh, There was many forms of ways he was with me. I came to him and he brought that rest that he promised he would. So yes. his word doesn't contradict itself. Yes. His word is literally alive. It literally yes. became alive in my life and it has became alive in many people's life. And it lines up with the word. What God does in our lives come to line up with his word and what he said. He Yes. Would. That's why amen. I say, that's why I say he's amen. there. That's why she testifies of it. And so, give him a chance. Yes. Give him a chance. Yes. Quit running. And um, why not? You know what else do we yeah. got in life? You know. So, amen, amen. That's
0: yes, great. amen. So, guys, this is all for this episode of the Weed Seeds of Beautiful Things. You can follow Yasmin Medina on Facebook and Instagram. I will link her accounts in the show notes below. Be sure to share this episode with your family and friends. And Yasmin and I have talked behind the scenes. She is going to be coming back on the show to share the rest of her incredible and life-changing testimony of God's goodness and restoration. I want you to share this episode. Get it out there because there are people, maybe even if it's not you, you know someone who needs to hear this encouraging word, this truth about who God is in the face of who we are as sinful humans. Humans and how He does and can and will restore us and our lives to be a reflection of who He is so we can bring glory to God and to His kingdom. Yasmin, it has been an absolute privilege, and I look forward to finishing our time together. Thank you so much for being on the Weed Seeds and Beautiful Things podcast.